What is up, guys? Um, I want to welcome you guys to the Love the Process podcast, and this is a big throwback episode. So I recorded this a few years back with Jordan Lawley, aka J-Law B-Ball. A lot of you guys know him by that. Um, and I can honestly say this interview was gold. Um, I apologize for taking so long to drop it. That is on me. There was a lot of family things that went on, but nonetheless, it is worth the wait. Here it is. Um, Jordan Lawley, you know, he's a trainer out of California. He's worked with Mello, Clay Thompson, Don Maker. I mean, he, he's the man. And I can honestly say for anyone that's trying to get in the training business, the skill development business, maybe even coaching, uh, this is going to be a lot of value for you guys. Like he is one of the most genuine people I've ever met. And I love this interview, like really, really uh, enlightened. And I had a whole new perspective on a lot of things. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy this. Again, this is a throwback episode from a few years back, but nonetheless, this is going to really be beneficial for you guys. Like I always say, if you appreciate the episode, be sure to drop a five-star review that helps us spread this message to as many people as possible and really enhance the basketball culture. Uh, Show love, share to as many people as you can. Appreciate you guys. Check out the episode with Jordan Lawley, J-Law B-Ball. Love the Process Podcast. Let's get it. What's up, everybody? Um, I'm excited to... uh announced episode two of Love the Process podcast uh, with your host, Aki Dean. Um, Today we have a very special guest. I'm extremely excited um, to chop it up with um, Jordan Lawley. Um, You might know him as J-Law B-Ball. He is a a skills trainer, um, founder of a company, um, an Adidas-sponsored trainer, um, has amassed over 258,000 followers on Instagram and um, in my short time being with him, he's he's the man. So that's all I got to say. Um, <laughs> Jordan, that. if you have anything you want to fill in uh, the listeners about uh, a little bit more about yourself, yeah. feel free to, to let them know about you. Uh, no, I'm really excited first and foremost to be on this podcast. I know I, I love, and everybody who knows me knows I love talking. I love kind of preaching about you know wh- how I've gotten to where I've gotten in mm-hmm. uh, the road that I chose. And a lot of times... You know, people don't really understand. They see they only are able to see the limelight. They're only able to see the success mm-hmm. uh, and what came, what you know, came into fruition. But they don't know that each one of us as trainers, each one of us that have been put into a position like, you know, I, that have achieved social media stardom, which mm-hmm. is such an ambiguous coin term. <laughs> yep. uh, they don't see kind of where we were and and, and what who we are as people. Mm-hmm. They see us as as individuals across social platforms, but. But not who we are as people, and I think that's one thing that I love, always love speaking about is who I am as a person mm-hmm. and my faith and how much that has helped me in my process. You know, especially you know I love you know the the main forum of your podcast. You know, love the process. That's that's phenomenal because you really have to appreciate kind of where everybody stems from as people. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. So um, let's dive right in. Uh, the first question I have is. I don't know anything about it, but tell me about your property management business, I guess, in high school. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when I was in high school, my brothers and I, uh, my father was an entrepreneur. Uh, mm-hmm. So he had a very entrepreneurial mindset that he kind of, we kind of learned or were able to adapt through osmosis. And uh, it was one of the things like my parents had two properties that, that they, or two rental properties. Mm-hmm. And instead of like having a, a company kind of, uh, you know, run them, they said, hey, Jordan, Bryce, Mason, I have two younger brothers. You know, you guys are going to be the owners of this company called mm-hmm. Lolly Brothers LLC, and you're going to have to manage the properties. And from there, we uh, were able to, to establish a lot more business acumen on how to run a business. Mm-hmm. We were able to, you know, to become a lot more personally accountable, mm-hmm. uh, typically because of the forced nature of us throwing into being thrown into a CEO a CEO <laughs> position at yeah. at a ripe age of 16 years old. So, yeah. um, 
so it was cool to be able to to handle that responsibility and to handle an actual company. Mm-hmm. And even though we, you know, obviously could have been a lot more hands-on, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, from the same setting, it was, you know, during high school where you have a lot more stuff. Okay, I can't remember. I feel like now kids are way more busy than I was, but, you know, I feel we were always in a sport. I played four sports when I was in high school. Like I had, was, uh, was a member of like 12 clubs had a 4.2 GPA. Like mm-hmm. there was all these things active in our church. Like there was all these things that, you know, kind of made me, you know, who I was as a person. But mm-hmm. uh, that element of it just gave me that business acumen and really rooted me to, uh, you know, developing a career aspect. Mm-hmm. And uh, we grew that business. And, and as my parents' company grew throughout 2008, we we grew that business as well, the property management company. And then we um, still have that entity, but we changed it into a, a private investment firm mm-hmm. uh, when I was in college. So what once were property managers now became, you know, head, like really investors, like yeah. angel investors. Mm-hmm. So we invested in some startup companies, biotech companies when I was in college, uh, one of which did really well and uh, ended up get, going, uh, getting bought out by, by a, a major, major corporation. And then we continued to invest and we still have the investment company and uh, we do some hard money lending. We do. So I, I have, there's so many different products wow, awesome. to, to, to me from a business aspect that mm-hmm. people don't really get to see, but that's really where my business mindset really started. Wow. That's, that's awesome. I think, um, you know, starting at such a young age, that, that definitely had to, uh, prepare you, I oh, think yeah. for everything that you're going through right now. And I'm sure I'm going to assume you probably made some mistakes oh, <laughs> and, my gosh, yes. oh, and learned my gosh. a lot along the way. And I think that's one of the best parts is, you know, Michael Jordan is infamous for, you know, you know, the saying, you know, where, uh, and I could be butchering it, but you miss a hundred percent, hundred percent. Was it Michael Jordan? Was it yeah, Michael Jordan? Was, I think it might've been Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky. That's yeah, what it was. Like, yeah. You miss hundred percent right. of the shots you don't take or something. Yeah. And, and a lot of times people get so nervous about making a mistake or, or missing a shot that they don't put themselves in that situation to succeed. Mm-hmm. So we kind of got thrown into the fire and a lot of times. Did you, you have know, a choice for this or was it just like, no, hey, it kind of got, it. no, it kind of got thrown on my lap. <laughs> okay. you know, it was definitely, it was definitely thrown into my lap, but you know, the same token, like, you know, I wasn't afraid because I didn't mm-hmm. know any better yeah. of making that mistake and finding out learning along the way. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've made a ton of financial mistakes, you know, from the business side of it, you know, early on and, and I've learned every single time mm-hmm. from those mistakes that have allowed me to build a much stronger foundation For sure. and build upward from this, you know, from a business entity. And that's one of the things that it's so hard to come by a great trainer, like a good, especially in our industry, skills trainers, mm-hmm. uh, a great trainer who understands how to build their brand. Like yeah. A lot of us as trainers, like we're in it because we had a passion. We turned it into career. Mm-hmm. Well, careers are something that are sustainable. And yeah. if you don't have... Uh, some form of business acumen, your career just turns into uh, a hobby, and then yeah. you start losing, you know, potential business, and you start losing, you know, it starts becoming uh, something that's it's no longer sustainable mm-hmm. you know, for the rest of your life. And uh, it's 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 one of those things. Like we're in an industry where we have diminishing margin of returns. Every hour I spend on the court, my body gets more degraded. Oh like, man, ain't that the truth? <laughs> oh, like it, literally at 30 years old, like my tendons are starting to get tighter. My mm-hmm. Achilles now hurt. Plantar fasciitis is starting to like. There's a, all these things that are uh, starting to wear on us. So we got to be, you know, that much more, uh, you know, focused on how to work smarter, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and have that 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 proper business uh, control uh, rather than you know harder because everybody sure. wants to be the hardest working trainer out there, but that's irrelevant, completely irrelevant. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, 
I think, you know, for me, when I was first starting, someone told me, um, and it like opened my eyes. They're like, do you want to have a business or do you want to have a job? Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean? What's the difference? Yeah, that's like, funny. It, and it really changed the way I looked at things from, you know, being the person necessarily, you know, that's doing everything and working so hard, so hard, so hard. It's like, but that doesn't always mean you have a business and that's not uh, preparing for the long haul. And that's so true. It's, that's, that's definitely some, some golden stuff. So how, how did you manage, um, you know, all these different things? You know, I, I just working with a lot of high schoolers and uh, I'm sure, you know, just people in general, time management can be an issue. And oh, yeah. you, know, you, you have a business and when you're in high school, when you're going to college, you know, you, you change it over to, um, you know, an investment firm and you're, you're playing division one college basketball and, um, getting buckets. <laughs> uh, I think it said, what you average over 20, 21 points yeah. for your career? D- so. D2 though. D2? I D2. was D2, homie. Oh. I know. Oh, no, it's all, I, know I mean, it's I was NAI, thing, so, so no, it's not a shade big at all. I try to, <laughs> I go on these rants all the time and this is going to be the only rant I might have to take it out of the podcast. Like, no, no, any no. level of college basketball is difficult. Like, if people get so like, oh, I want to go D1 or bust. It doesn't, like, no, it doesn't make, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any difference. Like, I went to a D2 school and we beat D1 programs in the off season. There were such little differences, little nuances between NAIA, D2, D1. Mm-hmm. I Trust me, I'm the biggest advocate for telling my kids, hey, look, it, go where you want to play. Yes. Like that, was, that was my biggest thing. I went where I wanted to play. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have the best offers no, other than Ivy Leagues like giving allowing me to play on their programs. Mm-hmm. But the same token, I just wanted basketball as a means of getting a great education. Yeah. Like, that was my – I never had any aspirations. That's the crazy part. I didn't have aspirations of making basketball, turning basketball into a career. Okay. So you weren't MBA or die? No, not at all. <laughs> that's what that's what Paul said. I was MBA, MBA or die. I got like you. I wanted to get I wanted to get a, a P I wanted to get and believe it or not, this is wild. I don't know how I went on this tangent. I wanted to be an orthodontist <laughs> Whoa. going into college. Not gonna lie, I strongly disliked orthodontist. Oh, you kidding me? Mine worked two days a week. I loved my ortho. He worked two days a week. Living a good life. Oh my gosh. I thought he was the king. Yeah. You know, not working at all. I was like, man, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go into UOP school of dentistry. I'll be home, like close to home in Stockton. Like I'm going to love, or uh, in Bayer in the nor- in Northern California. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to love this. I took one class of chemistry in college, pieced out of be thinking I was going to be an ortho so fast. I feel your pain. I was a bio. I got my degree in oh, biology. Oh, Chemistry and organic Lord. chemistry. Worst class I've ever had in my life. Oh. Don't know how I got to see in it. That's miserable. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, so I literally, that's, that, that ship sailed after the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I completely don't remember where we were off this conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think we went to, uh, <laughs> yeah, so time management. Um, like, like we talked about, it was all about making mistakes. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you get put in those situations, especially like, being a college athlete was such a great, um, such a great way for us to learn time management, mm-hmm. right? So, you get stuck, you force, you know, forcibly get, uh, get put in, or able to get your classes at a certain time block. You have your daily practices, you mm-hmm. have your games that you have to, you know, accommodate, you know, and you have to make sure that you talk and communicate with, uh, with your teacher, so uh, that you're going to be missing class on certain days. So I had great things, great practice tools, great, great practice set. Uh, through my college experience, you mm-hmm. know, UCSD functioned as an Ivy League school, so you know, academics was a, a pillar of the program. Mm-hmm. Athletics took a, a second, uh, set, took second fiddle. Mm-hmm. So I had to really do a good job of of managing my my time through the course of my the course of my schoolwork, my business stuff of it, especially when I was going through going through college, mm-hmm. uh, was always a, a second a second yeah. fa- second rate thing. Like I 
my passion was basketball. Like mm-hmm. that's what I, I love to do. Um, and I'm a kind of person who, if I'm doing something, I'm doing it 100%. Yeah. And I believe in that, especially from a business side of it. It's so hard to grow, you know, three different entities because that means you have to be splitting 33% of your time in each little lane. Like mm-hmm. you, you have to be all encompassed. You have to be all, you know, focused mm-hmm. on one thing at a time and, and really delve and, you know, devote your time, energy, and attention to detail into those things. Now, fortunately for me, from the business side of it, I had my father there still helping out. I had my brothers who were also, you know, uh, joint owners of the company or co-owners of the company, two younger brothers. Um, So I had these resources where I could just micromanage. Mm -hmm. And from a a business owner standpoint, that's what we want to get to. We want to get to the point where, you know, the best time management is understanding how to allocate somebody else's time to a task that you need done. That's that's one thing I need to improve on extremely. And everyone. Like I can still work on it to that day, especially when I'm going to jump to another thing, man. I love freaking talking. I'm sorry, guys. You guys are going to suck me for another three, maybe four hours. Um, so one thing that is so tough, um, so tough for people to understand is, mm-hmm. you know, training trainers, especially in the training industry, is so prideful. Like when you pour your hours, your sweat equity, your your time into an individual and they go train with somebody else, it feels like a little piece of your heart is ripped <laughs> we out. We just talked about this. It's you know, like trail. Like, oh, but it's, 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 and it's, I know it's not part of that, but, mm-hmm. but we're, we're living athletics in, in itself is just very, very prideful industry. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we'll get consumed with, okay, this is my company. This is my business. I want to do everything. And I want to only be the one handling it because I believe in myself and nobody else. Mm-hmm. The problem with that mindset, as I said before, was you can only allocate so much time and energy to every little part of your business. Like as a trainer, as an owner of your business, you have to be the accountant mm-hmm. starting off. You have to be the market manager. You have to yeah. be the videographer. You have to be the <laughs> yeah. producer. You have to be the CEO, the CEO. There are mm-hmm. so many things to do. And if you have to do those things 100% of the time, Good luck, run, good luck having a family. Good luck having yeah. You know, something else is going to definitely suffer. Yeah, you're, you're going to get burnt out, or you're not going to you know reach the potential that you could. And exactly. And I didn't have growth. I didn't have proper growth mm-hmm. until I learned how to allocate, you know, different things and to allocate uh, uh, different tasks to people and mm-hmm. to you know hire market you know market managers. I have a Chinese business manager. I have a web manager. I have director of ops i have Did you do you outsource that or is it like yep. giant okay so you yeah. t- okay interesting because i've i've read some stuff on that i've been like going back and forth i researched it i'm like oh, i don't know oh man okay. you, yes like it's confirmation i'll give you i'll give you my my guy who who okay. does my uh business my, my business managing in china mm-hmm. phenomenal guy and he handles everything so i have really quite a big following and mm-hmm. uh probably more so in china than i do here in america really? mm-hmm. um and across Weibo, WeChat, like all those different social media forums, mm-hmm. and we do we do business quite heavily with uh, different CBA, WCBA, mm-hmm. uh, amateur level programs coming over here, or me going out to China. So that makes definitely sense. Definitely, now I see all, all the a lot of clips. There's a yes. everything's coming into play. It comes into fruition. There's only so much you get to see from the social lens. Yeah. When you get wow. to dive deeper, you get to kind of get the whole root of everything. But so. Do you think that, you know, you said you have two younger brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that you being the oldest kind of helped you with, you know, some of your leadership qualities? Definitely. Definitely. Um, it was one of those things that I feel like athlete, athletics, I'll give you a little rundown, uh, rundown memory lane. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was growing up, I was very active in athletics. So 
I was in high school. I played four sports. I literally, freshman year, went from being the goalie, the starting goalie for my soccer team, mm-hmm. after the game would go kick for the football team, was the punter for the football team. Mm-hmm. So it was just like I was doing one thing from another. Then mm-hmm. in winter, I was basketball. In spring, uh, or, yeah, spring, yeah, spring, holy crap, man, long day. <laughs> spring, I was in baseball. So yeah. <laughs> it was going back, like, literally from one thing to the next to the next. Mm-hmm. And then after spring, I'd be in AAU. So mm-hmm. I had all these different, you know, this, this brotherhood of, of athletes um, that helped with my leadership qualities as uh, an older brother. Like this is where it kind of gets a little bit, a uh, little bit like my time was so stretched between athletics and different extracurricular activities that I mm-hmm. didn't really get a chance to be like an older brother, like a proper older brother, mm-hmm. as far as like establishing leadership roles. Um, you know, obviously I was the, you know, the, the, the antagonist mm-hmm. in a lot of situations <laughs> yeah. with brothers that are, you know, three years younger, mm-hmm. you know, we had three year, three year age gap. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, we started getting a little bit older where I started taking on more of like leadership role or like kind of like a brother, uh, an older brother role, which is kind of sad to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the one thing, like family is everything to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked to my brothers about this and, you know, in retrospect, I wish I had, you know, just, a, a, I spent a little bit more time, you know, being able to hang out with them and do things mm-hmm. with them. Not saying that we didn't, like yeah. we went on family vacations. I had an amazing childhood. My brothers and myself, my family had such an amazing childhood, but I just wish I would have been a little bit more active in their lives because they were always coming to my games and being involved mm-hmm. with my stuff. So that is probably one of the biggest things uh, from it. But athletics helped with my leadership qualities for sure, more so than me being an older brother. Okay, I got you, I got you. Um, so you play in college, um, your four years is up, what's 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 the plan or, or let's say actually let's go to senior year what's your mindset and what are you going to do you know after you graduate senior year i took the lsat i took the the dat i took the gmat i don't know half those are i gotta so be honest with you lost, i wanted to do when i when i got to my senior year i wanted to be an agent a sports agent mm-hmm. knowing what i know now heck no but <laughs> i wanted to be a sports agent a basketball sports agent mm-hmm. so in order, the best ones, you know, get their JD, MBA, they get their law degree, they get their business degree, mm-hmm. and so I was looking. Was at that your problems. way in your mind of staying involved in the game of basketball? Yeah, and having an like having basketball as part of my profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, like I said, going into college, I didn't really think basketball was going to be a part of what I did. I was an orthodontist in my mind already. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I got toward the senior year, like I started thinking, like, okay. This is getting real. Like mm-hmm. I still had our company, but that was more of like a side gig to me. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't what I was passionate about. Basketball, I was finding out as I was learning myself, was my passion. And I went and I, I took those tests. Uh, didn't care. I hate school. I, literally, I cannot stand school, especially <laughs> when I got to college. I just wanted to get out. Some people are scholars. Mm-hmm. And some people want to, like they strive for, you know, intellect. They want to be in a mm-hmm. classroom. It's not your boy. Like yeah, I want to be hands I'm, I'm on. I want to be in front of the table, not behind it. Mm-hmm. And I got done with the test, and I was like, you know what? I can't imagine taking more tests like that for the rest of these next four years. And I ended up. Uh, one of my clients brought me on as uh, like property acquisition manager um, for their their company. And I had like the side gig with my with my brothers. I had our company mm-hmm. with my brothers, but. Had we run in a nine to five, and I still had a couple of a uh, couple of clients, um, you know, like when I got when I got right when I got done, a couple of clients that I started that, that I was training, mm-hmm. um, and I was still reaching out. So I had an agent, sports agent, mm-hmm. and 
they were looking for jobs for me. So I ended up getting a gig like for the Reno Bighorns, mm-hmm. which held me over for a little while. And then I got an opportunity to play in New Zealand. But those in my in my my eyes were just kind of things that I can do in the immediate, not like mm-hmm. a career yeah. uh, growth. Um, so I played in New Zealand. I played in Mexico. And uh, that's over the course of the next, like right after I graduated, over the next like year and a half. And during that process, like my mind is always thinking macro and saying like, okay, I can have this job lined up for me. So I had my client line up a job for me when I was getting done with everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, that property acquisition spot. And I had a couple of clients that I was training in college and uh, I was doing a nine to five and then I'd train my guys after, uh, train my guys after you know five o'clock hit. Mm-hmm. And soon- so Were you getting paid for the training or were you just- Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. And we'll talk about that here in a second. And as soon as like I started realizing that I had a passion for the teaching, my nine to five turned to nine to three. And then I realized that I was getting a lot more success because of this passion. So my nine to three turned to nine to noon. And mm-hmm. then I realized that my clientele was actually taking over, consuming my business, or consuming my, my thought process. Mm-hmm. So my nine to noon turned into, you know what? I'm sorry, I'm not coming in today. I don't want to work you know, in this. I don't want to do this line of work anymore. And I realized that I built a profession, I built a career based off of my passion. Mm-hmm. So that's one of my business models, our business mottos uh, is passion fuels growth and growth will equate, consistent growth will equate to success. Mm-hmm. And I took that and I just built upon you know, this passion that I had, this foundation of just yearning to teach kids the right way, detail orientation, focus on efficiency, and really rooting yourself into caring for each individual and understanding that you pour your sweat equity, like, you know, this life, you know, the world is, is a transaction-based world. Mm-hmm. You know, you give something and you get something. And for me, if I gave clients, you know, a piece of my effort, a piece, uh, uh, I was caring for them. I was, you know, shedding my sweat, you know, into their sessions. I knew I was going to get something, not mm-hmm. just a transaction, but being more about transformation. So that's another thing too. I'm, I, every single time I step foot on the court, I am about the transformation, not about the transaction. And because of that relationship that I have with my clientele, I've been able to grow at such a, a more exponential rate. I'm, I'm in it for the right reason, mm-hmm. not just for a quick, quick dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, long story short, I got done with college thinking I was going to go to grad school. I didn't go to grad school. I ended up going playing overseas. I had a job lined up for me. Did that for a little while. Peace out of that because I was killing it with training, uh, killing on the training side, and then ended up starting to grow this thing from the ground up. So that was a lot more efficient way to teach. Oh, no, no, no. I I, I love the detail. I love it. Um, so for the overseas thing, um, you know, this isn't, you know, as much business more for me personally. What was your experience? Because Malcolm over there had an experience. I'm not going to, yeah, yeah, I'm not going (laughs) to. I hated it with a passion. (laughs) It wasn't what everybody said to me. I'm not probably edit this. Money wasn't on time. It wasn't as much as I thought. Person, no. yeah. Oh yeah, I stopped recording. Yeah. I, I was just gonna readjust while this question. Yeah, no, it was. All, I hate, absolutely hated it with a passion. I wasn't with my family. Nobody could see me play. I'd have to call my parents. You know, after a, I was in New, when I was in New Zealand, it was like three in the morning after our games. Yo, I had this. They couldn't see it. They couldn't watch it because 2011. Like obviously things weren't as you know broadcast as possible, mm-hmm. uh, or as they are now. And it just wasn't all attractive to be. You literally live with, you play with fear versus playing for love, playing with the love of the game. Mm-hmm. And you were fearful that if you didn't perform, you were going to get just axed and they were going to bring somebody, 
you know, in the next day to, you know, fill your spot. So mm -hmm. that's a tough, it's, it's a tough, tough way to grow, you know, when you're constantly looking behind you, you're constantly looking over your shoulder thinking, oh man, I'm, I might lose my job. You're like, that's, that's yeah. awful. I hated, I hated that. Hey, that's a great experience. I'm glad that I was able to do it and I'm very blessed to be able to do that, um, and to play at such a high level. But, you know, the same token, like it was, wasn't all cracked up to be. And that's mm -hmm. why, you know, I took the liberty to say, hey, look, I'm not, it's not about, not about that, yeah. not about that life. I hear you. I hear you on that. I know, again, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with Malcolm. He's told me some horror stories about it. So everyone has theirs. Yeah. Everyone, not just some people, every single person. I wanted it so bad when I was playing. So oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm actually very happy that, you know, it would have been something to experience, but I'm perfectly fine with not yeah. experiencing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you start your, your training business and everything and it starts to pick up. Like what was, what do you think or attribute, um, you know, outside of the, you know, you actually caring about the people that mm -hmm. are in front of you and not just looking at them as a number or a paycheck, but caring about the individual. Um, Cause I think that's extremely important. Yeah. I, I know me personally, um, a book that like really impacted me was um, John Gordon's. Gosh, I can't remember. It was like I read so many of his books. It was um, the Carpenter. Uh -huh. um, it was talking a lot about love, serving, caring. You know, the person in front of you, and that that changed my life. But um, what do you attribute, you know, to that growth? Was it you know uh, referrals? Were, were the were the clients you know just coming off of you know, word of mouth? Were you actively marketing it? Like how how did that you know kind of ascension begin? So I. And for me, like I went into it, everyone, especially from the training world, like back in 2000 and like 2012 when I got started, 2012, middle of 2012, uh, trainers still weren't that prevalent. So mm -hmm. you had people coming up, but it was still like the, you know, the head honchos, the Michael Lancasters, the Gannon Bakers, those guys. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't really care for trying to go out for the the cream cream of the crop guy. Mm -hmm. I went out for the ones that I knew I could help right away. And I built this foundation on a wide client list where I was working with introductory level players to intermediate level players. And that's it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like from a, a, a player setting, that's how I build my players. And that's mm -hmm. how, you know, good trainers build their players from the foundation up. Mm -hmm. And if you start with this wide base of, of inter, you know, beginning level players, you now have the opportunity to continue to grow your business mm -hmm. in a strong pyramid with a nice wide foundation versus a lot of trainers want to start their training business at the, the top, top and then work their way down to the, you know, to the beginner. So a lot of times you lose so much just with the communication skills. Like I, I learned so much about myself starting off my business because I had to learn how to be patient with a six year old. I learned how That's awesome because we have these conversations all the all time. time, right? It's that's, that's, I, I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. So I built, I built this extreme foundation on mm -hmm. word of mouth referrals. The best form of marketing is world word of mouth, especially in it, like in 2012, where you know I had to use Craigslist for you know a lot of my ad space. Like that's yeah. insane. You know, now thinking if parents <laughs> looking at Craigslist for a trainer, like that might be a, a scary thing. But so when when parents, especially like the difference between, uh, man, my mind's going a million miles an hour. There's a difference between a customer and a client. Mm -hmm. And for me, I made sure when I started off to attack both of those from a positive level. So your customer is going to be the person who handles the transaction, the parent. The client is the individual that you have in front of you. For me, I gave care to the client, but I always made sure to appeal to the customer. 
So when I had our training sessions, mm-hmm. I was sh- shedding everything I had into the to my care, to my investment, uh, to my time, into the, the individual that was in front of me. But I always made sure to accommodate the customer because I knew if that customer tells another customer, that level of trust between that, that transaction, that speaking transaction between those customers was going to be able to get me another referral. So I built this foundation based off of word of mouth. And then from there, I got my Prius wrapped in my company logo. I was driving 110 oh, miles. Oh, whoa. Let's, we got to slow down on that. Yeah, I know, man. That was a quick one. That was a speed bump. We're not touching that one. But I had my, uh, I had my, my car wrapped in my company logo. Uh-huh. I was driving around this bright orange Prius. had a basketball on the top. Was the orange like on purpose? or was Yeah, it basketball. It was like a big basketball driving on the freeway. Like everywhere I went, this thing it was a basketball. So it caught the attention. And it was a tax write-off. So I thought, yeah, I'm brilliant for this. And (laughs) uh, so I ended up, like, I was driving 110 miles a day, round trip, going from gym to gym. Not Mm -hmm. the most efficient, but for me starting off, the most effective. I was able to touch different pocket niches within San Diego. Uh, I was able to, you know, constantly have this advertising based on my car. Like, that was my format. The the, the car worked. The car worked. The car killed it. The car played (laughs) So I had this car driving around, referrals were flooding in based off of how I was structuring my business. And then from there, I just kind of built everything up mm-hmm. and started working with intermediate, then advanced, then high, you know, advanced high school and college, worked with the whole San Diego State men's basketball team back when uh, they had like Kawhi's, I played with uh, against Kawhi, mm-hmm. um, DJ Gay, um, a lot of the guys, uh, Jamal Franklin. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the NBA guys that played at San Diego State, I got the opportunity to work with. And from there, just professionals. Like I did it organically, and I did it with a means of like thinking that I got to build and establish my respect mm-hmm. from the ground up. And it started in 2012. Started in about 2012, yeah. So, so this wasn't an overnight blow up. No, 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 no. It wasn't no, an overnight blow up. I just want I want everyone to to hear that because I think sometimes um, with social media, like you said, we don't get the whole picture. Yeah. So if I'm you know a trainer or or a player, and you know I see you on the explore page, and I click. I see the Adidas, you know, sponsorship, and I see the two hundred fifty-eight thousand followers. I'm like, man, like he—he's he, huge. He's big yeah. time and everything. But a lot of times we don't one do our due diligence and look yeah. back and see, man, how did he get to where he's at right now? We don't, and we're so nearsighted. Like that's the thing with with social. We're so nearsighted. We don't. We see like the first time you you come across my page, mm-hmm. you know, that's my birth to you, mm-hmm. and nobody has this. Well, it's like uh, when g or if any new rapper comes onto the stage, you're like, man, this guy just blew up overnight. It's like, <laughs> yeah. No, like I have a, a buddy who actually works here who's best friends with that, with g mm-hmm. Like, you don't understand. Like, this guy was living out of his car. This guy was, you know, has been doing this since high school and he's been struggling. Like, it just took him a while to get to the point mm-hmm. where he's got stuff finally got noticed. And now he made the opportunity out of this. Uh, he, he had potential, but he, he made an opportunity. He made success out of this opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, um, like for me, it was the same. It was the same thing. Like I definitely struggled starting off, and it's scary, you know, trying to support a family off of something that is not solidified with a four hundred one k. Yes. <laughs> you know, and we don't have health insurance. You have to literally, you know, supply your own health insurance. Like, mm-hmm. I came from a very conservative household where if you didn't have job security, you get shunned. And that was for me, like leaving, getting out of college. That had a huge, huge, uh, huge part in why I wanted to get something that was established and mm-hmm. not do like any training and just like do the training thing. What helps you kind of just make that decision? Like, you know, I don't, I don't it made Cause it made sense. Like, cause I had the security knowing what I was making and covering my nut, you know, for my expenditures and, and what I had left over and discretionary spending. And I was like, yeah, this makes, 
fiscal sense. Mm -hmm. This makes uh, sense from an internal, you know, internal standpoint because I love what I'm doing and I can support those around me. So mm -hmm. um, it was definitely an educated decision. It wasn't just something that I, you know, fell off the horse. And I actually have, or sorry, I fell off the horse wrong term. <laughs> something I just decided, like you know, at the drop of a dime, uh -huh. like okay, I'm just going to do it. Um, hey, you want to be educated about it, and I have so many conversations. I actually have a trainer's guide to success. It's like a monthly subscription-based model where mm -hmm. I help trainers on their path and they're on their journey to becoming uh, a trainer. Mm -hmm. Strength training doesn't matter whether it's strength training, it doesn't matter whether it's coaching or, or skills training. You have to know how to you know properly run a business or how to properly mm -hmm. you know go about becoming a better person, better communicator, better you know businessman. And one of the things that I deal with a ton is the transitional period. And I have so many trainers that reach out to me saying, hey, look, I have this nine to five job, but I love training and I know that's what I want to do. How do I do it? Mm -hmm. And you have to tell them that you have to find a, a nice way to say like, look, you have to stick out that nine to five. You can't just jump ship and hope to, you know, that you're going to struggle, that you're going to struggle, you that you're going to struggle because a lot of times what happens in those situations, if you jump ship without a strong foundation, then eight months down the road, when you're literally grasping at straws to survive, mm -hmm. you're going to have to take a position that you don't want, like a, a position that you don't want even more than the position you currently have. Mm -hmm. And you want to continue to reiterate this fact, going back to our main topic, going back to the fact that uh, you have to understand that everybody is going to struggle. Yeah. It's just a matter of how lit is your flame, your passion for this training industry going to be? Because mm -hmm. if you can withstand that, and have that consistency with you know how much you're pouring into your training business, you're going to end up being fine. You're going to mm -hmm. have success. You're going to develop. You're going to have you know growth. It just takes that you know, uh, an overcoming behavior to be able to say, "Hey, I'm going to withstand. I'm going to push through." Yeah, I, I agree 100. percent I think that's <coughs> something that is is talked about and romanticized, but isn't lived. You know, mm -hmm. a ton is yeah. The struggle is is really. To me, I look at it as almost weeds out who really wants it. Because exactly. everyone in, in any field, in any aspect of life is going to go through something. And yeah. you have to just stay persistent and, and keep working through it. So, And once again, I think that's part of it is being an athlete. Like if you're an athlete, you understand that. For that. <laughs> yeah. You understand that, hey, if I want to play collegiately or I want to play professionally, mm -hmm. it's how bad I want it. It's how, how willing I am to withstand all these failures and to withstand the long nights in the gym and, you know, practicing on working on my craft is what's going to accept, separate me from the others that are out there partying or out there mm -hmm. kind of doing their own thing. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. So you, you, you blow up, um, your, your San Diego business really start, you know, getting more and more clientele. Um, what was for you in your mind, like the next evolution? Like, all right, I'm at this position. One, did you plan on, you know, ever being, uh, in Irvine, um, did you ever plan on having uh, the, the gym that's right oh. below us? Did, did, were, the, were these things planned, or was it just like, hey, I'm going to focus on what I can control right now and, yep. and do the best I can with what's in front of me? Good call. And so that, that's, that was a Control the controllable. Mm -hmm. I have no, I had no, like, I had goals, but I had no, like, severe long-term, you know, mm -hmm. severe long-term goals that kept me from attacking and, and, and focusing on succeeding with my immediate goals. Mm -hmm. And... I started, I had a very, uh, when I started off, I had a very micro mindset. Mm -hmm. Everything was localized. I was only focusing on the tasks at hand, the skill sessions at hand, the days, the day-to-day -day operations. And I only wanted it in these, in the, like one little niche. And then from La Jolla grew Carmel Valley. And Carmel Valley grew 
uh, downtown San Diego. And downtown San Diego grew El Cajon. And then I started growing. And for me, as, as a business owner, I thought, like, okay, if I can create a strong nucleus, that'll allow me to, you know, build out and go to different cities or different states to run camps. So from there, after, after building this foundation and having this strong nucleus of, of, of my clientele, I started offering my services to camps that were all over, you know, the U.S. or Northern. So Northern you were Canada. reaching out to those camps? <clears throat> reaching out to camps. Helping out with their organizations, the Phenom Camp I, I did, I, I helped out with a ton. Uh, we did camps in New York, I did camps all over, just to establish more of a brand presence. Mm -hmm. Now once again, you know, 2013, 2012. And did you hear any no's during that, that yes. time period? Yes, oh my gosh. Not it, It's not that I didn't hear any no's, I just didn't hear anything. And I think a lot of times people get <laughs> frustrated with it, they mm -hmm. think like, oh man, I must suck, I didn't hear anything back. It's a numbers game. Like it's it's how many people you reach out to, but understanding also that when you when you reach out, get, offer something. Yeah, you have to offer some type of value. You have to offer some type of value because I get so many direct messages that literally can be this as brunt and or blunt as this. Jordan, build me a program for three months. I want to get better at basketball. What? <laughs> like heck, no! I'm not responding. Like. Are you serious? Yeah. Like there couldn't be like a lead up story. You didn't put any time into any that talk, whatsoever. Any time, any thought. They just want something. They want something out of the transaction. Mm -hmm. They want something. This is a transaction based business. If you have, if you tell me a story, if you give me something, just give me a little bit of your heart. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna respond, and I'm probably gonna help out. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, I respond to every message I get, and that's something that's also crucial for building a business. Mm -hmm. Understanding how to. Uh, interact with your users because they're the ones that purchase. Yeah. And I respond to every single person or at least open the message to every single person. <laughs> but it's those, it's those messages that I just, they don't get any response from me yeah. because it's like, wow, that's extremely disheartening to hear that you don't, don't care about my time. You don't care about what, you know, I would have to do for that. You're only there about yourself. Mm -hmm. If somebody gives me a little, I'll give a lot. Yeah. That's really that's that's all it is, man. That's that I think that's um that someone listening to this eventually will will take that to heart and be like, wow, I sent one of those messages. Yeah. Because and you and a lot of you'll send a message, you won't receive anything. Re, re you know reconstruct that learn, message. Learn from it. Learn from it and say like, okay, what do I got to say next to get them to actually respond? Mm -hmm. Saying that hey, <clears throat> like I associate my press kit with everything, and I think that's one of the most underutilized tools for for trainers and. Uh, is not having a proper press kit, but I send that thing with every message that I send, so that way they understand how professional I am. They understand what I can offer to them. Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm offering, that's me offering to give them a service or, or wanting to do something at a discounted price or you know having that involvement. I'll make sure that they know who I am, what they're getting, and how I can help them. You know, grow. Mm -hmm. And you know, a lot of times when you send a message, you know, asking for something can get misconstrued as just one to, to take and leave. Yes, and run. that's very true. That's very true. So you reach out to a lot of these camps and everything. You start to build your presence. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, what happened next? Where it, was this at like a time when social media was happening or was this beforehand? Or? 2014, September, uh, I got selected um, by Kyrie Irving as the number one pick for the Nike Summer Series. So, how did, that, so how did, how did, homie, <laughs> that was the, Dopest thing ever. So <laughs> Nike, I don't know if you remember, in 2014 mm -hmm. or 2013, they started it. 
I think Kick Genius and like a bunch of these guys like started, mm-hmm. you know, kind of their social presence based off of Nike Summer Series. They got selected to play in this game, you know, against a bunch of other guys that were selected, a bunch of other people uh, across the social globe. And um, they play in this pickup game, pretty much glorified pickup game. And 2014 rolls around and they have this activation. A tag, you know, Nike, ta- uh, you know, hashtag, you know, the baddest or summer is serious. I remember that actually. I do and remember that. I was tagging them every single day because I wanted to be selected. And so it was you were all persistent. My, and, and it was all my training. It was all my training videos, like mm-hmm. my tutorials, my move breakdowns, where I put well, my, these shoes, the shoes. my shoes in <laughs> I front. remember the shoes. <laughs> and that's a whole other topic is social currency. But, yeah. Um, so I had, like, my shoes, and it just it stuck. And they were like, oh, my gosh, we're going to pick you. Kyrie jumps on the, their little form because it was Kyrie versus Anthony Davis mm-hmm. for the teams. I was on Team Kyrie. And he picks me for the first uh, the first pick uh, in the dra- their mock draft that they had. <laughs> and I was just, ever, ever since then, Nike was blowing me up, was shouting, uh, shouting me out across social media. And I kind of built this foundation. I think I got 10,000 followers <coughs> uh, after September, like mm-hmm. right before this event happened. And then the game happened. I got MVP. I hit like the game-winning tip-in. Game winning, I had the game-winning uh-huh. tip-in. So I had all this social. I had all this content. Yeah. That, I was just able to, that I captured from when I was there and I was able to, to, to utilize on my, mm-hmm. across my platforms. And I was like, man, I never thought about using Instagram as a, a social media, as, as a, as a presence for, for my business, but that's what I'm going to start doing. So I started posting more tutorials and people started liking them. And then I, did you have like a, a plan when you were posting? These no, tutorials? no. You kidding me? It took, <laughs> it took like 30 minutes just to write my captions because I was literally writing them the way that I taught. So I was trying to teach every individual that reached out to me exactly what I was trying to convey, the message I was trying to convey. So hard, so time-consuming, mm-hmm. starting off as a teacher because you have to textually write. I'm very long-winded, if you haven't noticed yet. <laughs> so I was writing these like essays, you know, in comments, and I was just uh-huh. getting a response like, "Cool, <laughs> dope." Like, "Oh, I understand now." Like, "Oh my gosh, oh, man. I got just." awful use of awful use of time but, yeah but it, that's when i started like having that seeing that growth and, mm-hmm. um like i said I, I use the term social currency understanding what you have that you're great at mm-hmm. that can set you apart you know from others in your industry is what you need to hold on to so my social currency was my shoes everybody who saw those stupid pairs of shoes on the ground whether you liked it or whether you didn't you knew that they were it was my video nobody else was doing it like that was just that was my thing. Oh, scrolling through the explore page. Oh, there's the shoe guy again. Didn't I didn't have a name. There's that mm-hmm. shoe trainer again, and nobody knew what I was doing. So I'd get people engaging. Oh, this is so stupid. Oh, this guy can't even afford cones. He's using shoes. Like all all this stuff. But I was like, of course, at that time I was like hurt by it. Yeah. So I was engaging with them, and that was helping me out because I was getting more engagement, and. Like you realize, like okay, if I just set myself apart, and, you know, become associated. Like Ryan does but a extremely good job. But it didn't have you stop. So even though you were getting the, no. oh, you can't afford cones, it's stupid. You still no. was like, I'm, I'm sticking with it. Because I knew in my heart what I was trying to convey. The message I was trying to convey. I was honest to myself mm-hmm. first and foremost. And when you're honest with yourself and you know who you are, you know, rooted down to the, you know, the finite detail, uh, it's a lot easier to stay rooted in your being and your faith and your, you know, whatever it is. Just like, just like faith. You know, mm-hmm. if, if I if I can say that I'm a strong Christian, that I uh, that I've grown in, uh, grown up in the church, and that I believe in God wholeheartedly, if I hear something else from somebody, 
atheist, whatever, somebody from different, you know, different uh, belief system. Like I know what what I believe is right, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to be, you know, it's not going to falter. I'm, I'm not going to falter. I'm not going to, you know, stray away from from my faith. Mm-hmm. And with the training side of it, with those shoes, like I had a purpose, and I was so consumed with what I was, you know, what I was doing. I was so confident in what I was doing that I knew if so, I don't care what somebody said. You know, I may rebut, I may, you know, rebuke them, and I may, uh, you know, have a di- have a, uh, a dialogue with them, but I wasn't going to stop doing it because mm-hmm. it made sense. Those shoes were the direct width of a player's of a defender's stance, and if I attack that, if I see those feet, I know when I get into a game, I'm going to be able to imagine, you know, yeah. what I was working on, versus you know putting a cone or a chair, which is really hard to use your imagination and shape shift that cone or that chair into a human being. Mm-hmm. I saw feet, and that's all I needed to see. Because when I get into a game, I only see body parts. Like that's just the way that I play. Like I only saw arms and legs. I didn't see a sternum because I knew where the sternum was. I was looking through that. I didn't see a head because I was looking past that. So I only saw arms and new arms and feet. And I understood, like, okay, when I'm attacking a defender, all that I really need to focus on is attacking top foot or attacking the middle foot and getting by them. And if their stance is narrow, then I'm gonna. So I was trying to be calculated with my conditions, mm-hmm. and uh, I was definitely confident with that approach, and it wasn't going to sway me. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That, that, that really is uh, – that's really cool, man. Um, so so tell me about um, – you We talked about it you know, right before we got on the air, but you were able to make that transition up to Irvine and kind of how that, that fell into place. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah. Yeah, so – I was, like I said, I was driving 110 miles a day uh, in my little Toyota Prius, <laughs> put a grip of miles on it. and uh, Yeah, but you got good gas mileage. I got great gas mileage. <laughs> I loved it. And um, I thought that my business model was the best. There's no, there's nothing else out there. Being centralized didn't make any sense. And um, got to the point where I really started, started being taxing, going from sitting down in a car to standing up and uh, you know, operating and then literally leaving at you know at two minutes past the hour to go to the next spot was just very very taxing and time consuming. <clears throat> so I got blessed with a very fortunate opportunity where one of my clients, uh, one of my clients' fathers, uh, was the CEO of ASICS at the time, and they told me that they were going to build a facility and mm-hmm. they wanted me to go in there and manage it and be the uh, be the guy kind of building the grassroots for ASICS basketball mm-hmm. and. I was very skeptical that it was going to be even even come into fruition, but uh, I was definitely I told them that I was interested. And sure enough, a couple months later, you know, it happened, and uh, I had to make the decision to kind of put my consistency beside me and focus on potential. Such a scary, such a scary point in my in my life in my career, mm-hmm. because I had a consistent basis where I was making uh, a healthy you know healthy amount a year, but I was working like a dog. And, and I could leave that. I completely up, can completely uproot that and move in order for something that might be better. Now, and did you have any like? No leads, zero clients. Okay. Moved up there. We'll have a gym that is empty. And I started thinking like, okay, this makes sense. I know it's closer to LA. My senior clients can still come up. I have my own spot where I can run hours worth of stuff. You know, This is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to be there, you know, X, X days a week and I'm still, we're still going to live in San Diego. So I was still living in San Diego. I was commuting all the way up here. How, how far of a commute is that? It's about from downtown San Diego where my wife and I were living. 
it took about an hour and 30. So I was doing that. I still had my responsibilities at, at the facility here that we have. Um, and then we leave and we go down to the facility. We go down to San Diego and I'd still run like afternoon evening sessions. So like I was trying to make it work. But while I was going up, I was establishing relationships. I was building relationships with other teams. So I got my first team, uh, OC Select, that I was training consistently two times a week. Uh, and I had them in the gym. And from there, I grew my private sessions based off of the work that I was doing with the groups. And sure enough, you know, what was two days a week, me operating up here, mm -hmm. turned into three, and then two days down in San Diego. And then slowly migrated to where I was only working two days in San Diego. And my wife and I were like, okay, let's do this. Now we can actually move. We can actually take off and make Irvine our prime location because we had built a foundation. We built something that was, uh, that we knew it was kind of like a trial period where we knew it was going to work, even mm -hmm. though I was locked into a contract. So I kind of, <laughs> even if it didn't work, I was still yeah. stuck up here. Um, so we knew it was going to work and now we can kind of, you know, migrate and move. Like kind of like what I talked to, to trainers about making sure you're calculated with when you jump ship and when you don't. Like mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that I had the security of knowing that this potential could pan out mm -hmm. before I left everything that I had. Did you have any trainers that you like trained up yep. and left in San Diego? I did. I okay. did. So that was also another, uh, that's another absolutely awful thing to try to do is manage trainers because a lot of times clients will come because you're a key a relationship, you know, it's, yeah. and it's how you teach and you're not, you know, Malcolm and Malcolm's not you. And for me, Max isn't me and I'm not Max. And if some clients love you, they might not love you know, your other trainer. So that was a hard thing for me to, to find. Um, and I was very selective with that. And I went through it, weeded out a, a bunch of trainers that I had, um, that had working for me at the time. And it's just one of those things is it was very hard to micro to manage that, uh, mm -hmm. across, uh, across different cities. Um, but yeah, especially when you don't have your own location, you know, facility. Mm -hmm. so it was just kind of like, okay, sure you did. You only trained him twice, you know, this month, you know, and it was just, Got to a bad position where you know I was doubting. I would have to doubt a lot of trainers and uh, you know with their responses that they were getting or the mm -hmm. what their income that they were bringing. What in. They were bringing in. So there's no way to really know. There's no way to really know, and it just it promoted a bad behavior uh, or bad possibility. Mm -hmm. So I ended up turning that into a subscription-based model where every trainer that I had was paying me X amount a month, regardless of what they made. So I'd flood them with uh, with clientele with inquiries. They'd pay me a monthly salary, monthly like fee, and then we'd wash our hands. That so well. that worked really well. That was the the last thing that I've done. That works phenomenal. Absolutely love that. Unless they're operating in my facility, like my trainers that I have here mm -hmm. uh, at Asics, because then I can monitor everything. Okay. All right, perfect. And then, um, so I guess you're up here now. Um, tell me how the the process of um, did you find trainers to you know interns or something you know, to train up here or did you bring anybody up with you or did anybody actively decide they wanted to come with you nope, how was, was how was that process then was, how was the process of um realizing that you know you can't do it all because i think that's something that a lot of myself included entrepreneurs face is like how we talked about earlier you know we wear so many different hats and taking off some of those hats and giving it to somebody that may be better suited yep. and putting that trust can be a tough thing so what was that process like for you? so when I came up here, it was just me. For the first year and a half, it was just me, nobody else. Mm -hmm. And when I did that, I had some stagnancy. So it was two. It was a two-year span. Um, How long have you been here, by the way? 
Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Okay. So when I first got up here, the whole first year after the first year to the second, uh, the second year, um, I was like right before. So when I was in San Diego, to there was like a two-year span where uh, part of it overlapped to when I was here in Irvine, where I was just stagnant with my income. It didn't grow. It was just kind of remained flatlined. And I realized like, okay, you know, I got to scale my business. I can't just, you know, remain, sit here, you know, thinking that this is fine or get consistent and get comfortable with this position with where I'm at financially. Like I want to see what I can do more. And when I had that, when I got into this consistent rut, I realized that I needed to get out of it. And when I did that, or when I had that, uh, uh, that awakening moment, I was like, okay, well, let's look at the things that I suck at or the things that I don't like doing. Let's just outsource them. Let's see how that works. And it was a lot of money up front. And of course, I was paying out more. But then I started realizing three months in that, okay, I just got a ton more return because I hired a business manager who got me three gigs for $10,000. How did you find um, those people that you outsourced? So I... Or that you, you know, were working with you? So I, a lot of it is through client relations. You know, they, I work, I train Chris Dudley's uh, children. Mm-hmm. And they had an amazing faith-based uh, PR lady and uh, business manager who I hired, who worked for Chris and Baron Davis and all these guys. Who was they're like, hey, we want to set you up for this meeting. She does amazing work, and she we think uh, she could help you out a ton. And I tried it, and it cost me. She was on month. She was on retainer uh, with me, and it cost a, a lot to to stand, but it was so good for me. It, it, it helped my ROI on everything else because I just put money, poured money back into my business. I, I, I said, okay, I'm not going to try to wear, you know, the marketing hat or the PR hat. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get her to do it. And then I'll learn throughout the process. And once you understand kind of those things that make things more, that make your business more efficient, then we can kind of start weeding out, you know, the cost structure and weeding out and kind of shaving down, you know, those expenditures but for the start, you have to pay to play, and I was willing to put money into my business, knowing that I was investing in my future growth. Um, so wow, that's, that that's, being, that's very good. I, I, I personally, that's gold for me. That's, yeah, that's and it's it's a really it's a really tough thing to part with your money. Mm-hmm. The money you build your business on the money that you pour your time into mm-hmm. to re- you know, to receive. So I always thought like, okay, well. The least amount of expenditures that I have, the better. And that's, yeah, that's, that's been my mm-hmm. that's been my business model, and it still is. You know, keeping a low 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 cost mm-hmm. uh, into the equation is is always part of great business success. Um, but when you're starting something off, or when you're at that tipping point or at that transition point to really grow and bloom, you have to be willing to spend certain you know, a certain amount on those things that are necessary for you to grow those things that you suck at mm-hmm. and that for me like reaching out to people i was awful at because i didn't want to act like i was i had my hand out saying hey give me this or i'll you know do this for me mm-hmm. you know i would wanted to i sent out you know emails to people emails to coaches uh but it wasn't like me asking for a you know contract mm-hmm. you know which now we're doing you know that's one thing i i would highly suggest to Trainers who have any little bit of social presence, you could be just starting or not, reach out to as many organizations, as many companies as possible, and tell them you want to get involved. Because if you can build this, this relationship, and if they can shout your stuff out, or if they can 
you know, give you product, you can build a different prong for your business. You can build a different, uh, you know, revenue stream, potential revenue stream. And for me, like, I didn't realize that until I paid money for a business manager to tell me that stuff, to, to, to preach to me about that stuff. And, uh, yeah, I think that was a huge part uh, of my transition into really running a business, not just owning one, mm-hmm. um, was actually putting 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 out the, the money to, to hire people like that. That, that that's um that's gold honestly i think that's um one of the best things that i've heard all year that's, cool. that's gonna help me a ton let's get it baby yeah, it's gonna help You're me the first ton. person's ever said that to me yes <laughs> <laughs> oh man so i guess you know kind of closing um what because i know like you said you, you have a strong faith how has that um impacted you and, and, and helped you and, and just, just dive in a little bit to your faith because yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you and uh, couldn't I, tell. Yeah, I'd love for you to love for you to talk about that to our listeners. Yeah, so uh, my love for Christ and my faith has been something that I, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. Which, mm-hmm. if you don't know, Pentecostals are the ones that are running down the pews, <laughs> like screaming and yelling and speaking in tongues. So like uh-huh. hellfire and brimstone, like that's that's me. Mm-hmm. And um, I grew up very like my pat my. Grandfather was my pastor. His dad was a pastor before me or before him, and uh, it was just always something that was bred into my family. And I, mm-hmm. I had very loving, very loving family who taught me how to be a good person first, uh, led by fueled by you know fueled by your faith. And I feel like when you when you're bred with a purpose and you understand that your life has a purpose more so than just what you get out of your day to day transactions, but you know you're your purpose after this life, you start respecting a lot more, not just respecting uh, the, the daily things that happen throughout the day, but the people that you interact with. And my faith allowed me to be a very uh, endearing person, a very caring person, a, a very loving person to everyone. And, you know, that's something that's so rare to find nowadays, mm-hmm. and especially in, in a world that's just so consumed with, you know, social presence and social, like, social media is great for business. Mm-hmm. But it is absolutely destroying, like, our perception of what's actually happening. You yeah. know? And uh, my faith has allowed me to to understand, you know, the the bigger picture, and and has given me the persistence to, you know, say, hey, look, I I, I know that I'm going to struggle. I know that, you know, uh, you know that I'm going to, you know, falter, and I'm going to you know, suck at certain things, and I'm going to pick up, you know, you know, bad habits along the way, but I'll work through it. And when you understand that, um, you know, through all those things that it's not our will, it's his will, mm-hmm. things become just, things start falling, snowballing and falling into place. And um, I think a big turning point was when I got in that accident. I got in a motorcycle accident that almost uh, ended my life. Uh, I was on the freeway driving my motorcycle and had my head down looking at the speedometer. When I looked up, hit the back of a pickup truck, that it slowed down, flipped over the pickup, uh, flipped over my bike and landed in the bed of the pickup truck. Wow. So if I would have hit like a Prius, yeah, I would have probably flipped, lift, uh, fell over the top. They would have ran me over, or I would have just died. I had basketball shorts on, cut off um, helmet, but other than that, like I would have definitely died. Yeah. Um, wow. And you know, once you get experience, like and I, I, that helped out too with kind of like my realization that you know there is a purpose. Like God has a purpose for each and every one of us, and realizing that it's not our will. Like you know, it, it's it's not on our clock. It's not on our will, you know, when these things happen or how these things happen, it's, 
it's based off of his, you know, will and his testament, like what he already knows we're going to do. Like we have to understand, like it's, I'm not, I'm not in control of anything. Mm -hmm. Like whether I succeed or I fail, it's not my, it's not mine to get, whether I get a dollar, that's not mine to, to, you know, mine to get, like he has given, given that to me. And I think that has been something that's, you know, always been a a helpful uh, point because I always realized like, Hey, look, whether I get a contract or not, you know, from this this job or this, you know, for this gig, it doesn't matter because I know he's going to provide for me. So that was a big helpful, helpful thing. Like we talked about with, uh, you know, having that passion kind of ignite you. Like my passion was basketball, but my faith was the one that kind of kept me steadfast in what I was doing. That's awesome. It's like I, I have one last question. I lied. I'm terrible. Um, <laughs> one last question. You think boy. I mind? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. One last question. So, what was what was your biggest struggle? I guess in in, in the journey from you know starting senior senior year, you know, just training a couple kids and, and all that type of stuff, or actually you know, when you were done, you know, playing um, to twenty eighteen uh, March 9th, What what has been the biggest struggle? What has been um, the biggest sacrifice that you've had to make? Uh, the biggest struggle was finding gym time, uh, growing, growing throughout the first years of my business or finding a place that would have me. I was getting kicked out of facilities. I was getting, you know, like I said, driving 110 miles a day. Like I was losing a lot of quality time. The big, my biggest loss was my quality time with my family and my wife. And that takes a toll on an individual. And like I said, I reiterated family is everything to me. But when you have a brand new wife and you're newlyweds and you realize that you want to spend every waking second with this individual, but you also want to be able to provide for them. There's a really, the balance, the balancing act is so difficult. And that's a, a struggle area. And that was a, uh, a, a losing area in my part. It was just finding out that balance point and, you know, learning how to manage my time. And, you know, it was a really hard, really hard ask, a really hard uh, time for me to learn how to, hand over things to people to run my business, to help run my business. Uh, when I was doing everything myself and literally after sessions would come home, do social, handle my back end, the back end of my business and still have to, you know, hang out with my wife. Like mm-hmm. that was very, the, the, the time that I lost spinning with her was so tough for me to, to stomach. Um, and something that like now I get done Fridays, these are my longest days. I get done at seven thirty, but my Mondays I get done at five. My Tuesdays I get done at six. My Wednesdays I get done at noon. My Thursdays I get done at four. Like that's awesome. You know, like I have completely restricted my schedule. I don't work Saturday and Sunday. Like, not very few people can say. Very few, very few trainers out there can say that that is their schedule. But I have sacrificed. I had to sacrifice that first time. I had to struggle through those areas to start off. Um, it allowed me to get to this position where I get to spend a lot more fruitful time with my with my family my wife and my son wow that's that's great that's um hope one day to to get to that that place Soon, man you're still a young buck <laughs> you're I feel like i'm getting old man, you're a baby I feel like i'm getting old my back's locking up right now in the seat. <laughs> i was gonna Goodness. say i saw you struggle yeah oh. i was like ah to crack it oh, man we got to edit that out but, um, <laughs> uh, i i i appreciate i i have one more question i can't i'm sorry i just i can't help it i mean while i have you here i have to ask um because I know a lot of other people will, will be wondering this as well. Um, you know, as far as growing, you know, a personal brand, as far as growing a business, I, I, I hate 
the fact that social media is so important because like I don't want to like, oh, grow on your social media because I think it's very vain, but it allows them a lot of opportunities mm -hmm. to impact people. So it is a, a great tool. Um, if you have one piece of advice um, to anyone listening, what would that be? Film as much content as possible. I wish that I had more content when I was first starting out because so many more people would have followed my process. I would have seen how everything kind of came into uh, everything evolved and kind of grew to where it is now. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, I used to be the kind of guy who said, who told parents, listen, if your coach is out there with the phone in their hand or like video and stuff, mm -hmm. get a new coach. And then I started realizing like, well, that's kind of, you know, silly for me to say because I can, you know, have my phone out. I can be focusing on my client and then I can showcase what they're doing on that phone. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't need to be something that's super negligent. Now, yes, there's ways to go around that. You know, and obviously I don't want to get, I, having a kid or a coach with their phone in their hand does not mean, okay, that coach is watching, you know, Instagram videos. No, I'm mm -hmm. talking about their videotaping yeah. for instructional purposes or their videotaping for potential marketing purposes. And when you realize that every time you're able to get content is just giving you more opportunity to affect other people's lives, that's where you're going to have so much more. That's where you're going to have a ton of growth. And I would say hire one of these guys as soon as possible or find somebody to do it cheap. Get a videographer. Get somebody to get behind the lens who can videotape because that's when you start looking professional mm -hmm. where you're not the one holding the camera. Mm -hmm. Somebody else is and now you have A, you build intrigue. B, you have constant content to capture, to, to send, to edit, to you know raw footage, YouTube footage, Instagram footage, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And C, you just get out there and every like nowadays, like I said, it sucks that social media is what it is, but everybody wants to have a presence on it. So it's like oxygen, you know, mm -hmm. like I want to be a supplier of oxygen. I don't want nobody to get it. I don't want somebody to have to get it for free. Like mm -hmm. I want to be a supplier of it. So if I have my videographers come in the gym with us and they're filming content, every single person in that gym is appreciative of it and they want that content ripped. Well, now my stuff is getting used by other people. other people. And they're tagging me in those videos, and now I'm just building my, my family. I'm building my base. So it's an expense, yes, but it's something that's so necessary. That's why we do our 30-day transformations. We have somebody at like Max or Spencer uh, will be videoing, Greg will be videoing for us like on a daily basis, um, just capturing as much content to showcase how much growth we've had. But I wish that I did that earlier on. I wish I had somebody taking video content early on. Uh, of what I, how I was going through training and kind of like how I was growing through it. That makes a bunch of sense and I, I couldn't agree more. I always tell people like if I would have started from like my first you know, time making that decision of training. And you like, could have made a book. Yeah, that's what I say. I was like, I have a Netflix show right yeah, now. Yeah, easy. Man. Well, that's just the growth and like that's what we're doing. The with struggles you. and all. I mean, everything would have been awesome. Everything. We're starting, we, uh, Spencer, my assistant director, started up a club team. We have five kids on this team. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're, we filmed every process. We're filming every step of it. We have video we're coming every day. You know, filming, cutting up our practices, our film sessions, our skill sessions, our weight stress, weight sessions, uh, our mindfulness training, like literally everything, our games. And we're just going to track the process, progress through the next couple of years and see what we can cut up out of it and get out of it. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. So it's a really cool thing. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I will not hold you any longer. Um, let let everyone know where they can uh, follow you. You know, on social media for the, like I said yesterday, for the six people in the sports world that don't already follow you, um, you can let them know where to follow you. I'll put it in the show notes. And um, also, 
Um, I know you have that 30 day um, yes, transformation sir. where, you know, I, I got a, I got a son now, a newborn. And sometimes I feel like I have a Congrats. dad bod. Thank you. Thank you. How old? Um, six weeks, seven weeks. Malcolm's Let's got one it. too. That was born like four days before me. Let's so, four by, so yeah. Um, Little backcourt like studs. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait. That's um, awesome. I'm not going to force him to play, but he's going to be in the gym. So <laughs> hopefully he'll throw a ball. I can't imagine that. Uh, but um, yeah, let them know where to where to follow you, and um, also any information about any programs you had. I know that trainer yeah. program that sounds like a amazing resource for yeah for everyone. It's really, so. really good. Doing some good stuff. Um, yeah, my Instagram handle, Twitter handle, all this stuff is jlawbball, uh, and you can find all of my content, all the stuff that I have, my online stuff on jordanlawley.com. Uh, but we have some good stuff. We have some 30-day transformation program. Mm -hmm. It's phenomenal. We're just, it's uh, going to be in the weight room side of it. Uh, increased bird, quickness, uh, that kind of stuff from a basketball perspective, any sport perspective. We have our Trainer's Guide to Success, which has, has been doing an amazing job uh, with hundreds of trainers all across the world uh, to help you run your business and learn how to be a successful and efficient trainer uh, and businessman. And then we have a bunch of online training programs for uh, ball handling, shooting, that kind of stuff. So. Definitely, we have everything. It's just jordanlolly.com. We'd love to help you guys out. All right, awesome. I appreciate it, man. Okay. More than you know. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem it. at all. It's a treat. Love the process, baby. Hey. <laughs> love it, guys.